Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. This episode is with Katherine Gallagher, and it's actually the first episode that I've recorded post-New York City shutdown for the coronavirus outbreak, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. It's a pain in everyone's ass, but we're doing the best that we can. So we recorded in our respective homes via Skype. Catherine and I actually recorded video of the session. So if you want to watch the video version of this interview, head over to ttp.fm slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and become a patron at the lowest level. You can see the whole interview and just watch us kind of geek out sitting on the floors of our houses. So it was kind of fun. I actually say it during the intro to her, but she really is one of the most interesting people that I've had the pleasure of meeting lately. She was born in Manhattan, lived here for a little while, moved to LA for her real her teen years, her impressionable years, and being the daughter of two successful actors who were very conscious about keeping her out of the limelight and telling her you only have one chance to be a kid, so go be a kid. Like she didn't do anything publicly until basically she was like 21, 22, and then all of a sudden her career has skyrocketed and she's been doing tons of things since then. Of course, Broadway debut, which as you hear in this episode, sort of fell in her lap. As we get deep into the content about Jagged Little Pill, of course, she's Bella, one of the main characters in that show on Broadway. I will say, I would say Broadway right now, but Broadway's dark. So when Broadway returns, she will be Bella again in Jagged Little Pill. But when we got into that content, she just she was so honest and so authentic about her own personal health struggles and issues that that she's gone through in her own life and how she's incorporated that into her character. And as heavy as a show as Jagged Little Pill is, how she's able to just become herself afterwards after every show and even become a better version of herself. She was saying that being a character that goes through so much trauma has actually been a cathartic experience for her to get through some of her own. So it was a really, really great conversation. Catherine, thank you for being your genuine self. Again, if you want to watch the video version, visit ttp.fm slash Patreon, and you can find out how to watch it there. As always, please leave a rating, leave a review. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. You can visit me on the Broadway Podcast Network at bpn.fm slash ttp. And everyone now, please enjoy this episode with Katherine Gallagher. My guest today is one of the most interesting people I've had the pleasure of meeting as of late. And aside from Huge. being <laughs> and aside from being an amazing singer-songwriter, she made her Broadway debut in 2015 in the Deaf West revival of Spring Awakening and stars as Annika Atwater in the show You on Netflix. She's currently starring as Bella in Jagged Little Pill. Katherine Gallagher, welcome to the theater podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. Yeah, last time I saw you was Broadway Con, end of January. Yes. It, it's it been quite a ride in the last, what, month and a <laughs> half? <laughs> we are sitting... Nothing's changed. What are you talking about? I'm sitting on the floor of my bedroom, of my, <laughs> my place in Brooklyn, interviewing you remotely because we are not allowed to see each other face to face right now. No, we are not. 
And it's we not, are not. And it's very not, socially distanced. Oh, it's socially distanced. This coronavirus bullshit. And so what's the date today? Today's the 19th. So we're recording this on Thursday, March 19th, when who knows what's going on. Just yesterday, you did a, a what'd you call it? The, um, your dance party. What was the oh, hashtag? Oh, yes. The, um, the quarantunes? Yeah, quarantunes. Quarantine dance party. <laughs> With with Ben Platt, <laughs> Noah Galvin. Yes. Uh, are, they, did they, are they still there? Did they come over? They, they left yesterday morning, so oh. they were with us for like four to five days. Yeah, yeah. I was like, they should yeah. not be traveling so much, but that seemed to be a lot of fun. <laughs> but they they sort of came up before the um, intensive um, guidelines were were sort of restricted, but we were very responsible in our. Um, in our socially distancing together. And so to this date, we are still the only four people, my brother included, that we've seen. We've just been like in little pods and now everyone's back in their own little pods. Right. So we were very responsible and very careful. Are you guys, are you going to do any more, um, any concerts from home or performances or anything? Cause like there, there's no. no Broadway. Broadway is shut down. It's so crazy. Actually, Noah and I were talking about doing this. And now that I'm saying it, I feel like it has to happen because we cooked so much together and we're both huge bakers. So we were talking about doing a split Instagram live where we bake the same thing, which I think would be really fun. Ooh. Um, so that's fun. Uh, definitely, like, I, it's so crazy. I know I'm supposed to do, that's my dog barking in the background. Um, I, uh, there's a lot, I'm in Connecticut where there's a lot of bears and animals all over. So every day it's like my dog is on guard as like the master protector of the house, which is loud, but. How do you talk a dog out of saving your life? You can't. It's just his prerogative, you <laughs> that's know? What, that's what dogs do. Um, yeah, right? And um, and so, you know, tomorrow night I'm, I'm doing an Instagram Live concert um, to benefit the Actors Fund. I'm like, I'm my day, it's so funny. Like, I've been so busy. Like, <laughs> I've had so many, like, you know, I keep saying, like, Broadway's gone dark, but none of the performers have. Like, yeah. you know, Ben, Noah, and I were, like, crowding around the phone watching Kelly O'Hara sing Bridges. And we're like, how is this possible? Like, we are so lucky. We are so gifted in this world to have Kelly O'Hara serenading us from her house. I think, um, it's, I think it's so much fun that if people, like, you guys are always in shows. And you're doing shows eight times a week. You don't get to see each other. And so one of the silver yeah. linings and through, you know, through all this is that you can actually start interacting again as friends and, and real people. It is funny. It's like I've been dying to like have sincere catch ups with so many of my friends because, you know, when you're doing a show, like when you get home or before the show, first thing when you wake up, like you kind of have to be careful with how much you're talking and how you're using your voice. And they always say like talking on the phone is bad for your voice because you end up talking louder, which I'm sure is true. So I'm always really paranoid about things like that. This is my dog, by the way. He's oh. crying. He wants to be included in the podcast. Oh, hi, pups. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so now I'm finally getting the opportunity to catch up with my friends, which is like this sort of, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm sort of, um, as a person, I walk a very fine line between, like, deeply optimistic and, like, woefully pessimistic. Like, it's, re it's really, like always acknowledge the worst possible outcome but but really put your energy towards the best while keeping expectations low that's like sort of my my um theory on life yeah. my outlook i was and I, then, I, I was totally yeah. with you until keep expectations low 
Yeah, because, mine are always low. Because, well, are, are you not, how I am is yeah. that I was exactly the same, but then I have the best expectations. And then when it doesn't work, if it doesn't work, I, I am so down on myself. Yes. Yeah, so I just think nothing will work. Um, I think, wow, wouldn't that be nice? But no, it will never happen. I mean, I'm telling you, like, to the point where if I'm filming something, I won't tell people about it until it's on the air. Because I'm like, well, clearly they're going to cut my role out. Obviously. <laughs> like, <I'm just laughs> so sure that, like, until it is, like, until, especially with work. Like, with Jagged, I was very careful. Everyone was like, it's going to Broadway, it's going to Broadway. And I was like, listen, until it is opening night... I don't even mean previews. I mean opening night. Until there have been reviews printed in papers, it's not happening. I, it's just thing we're working on. <laughs> if if we weren't currently sitting if in different rooms in different states interviewing each other remotely, I would have to disagree with you. But the fact <laughs> that six was supposed to open Thursday, the night that Broadway shut down, did not Anything happen. It happened. Oh my goodness! And now Diana and and Mrs. Doubtfire and Caroline are changed. All the, who knows what's going to happen to these shows? And I feel so bad. I know you work on something for years and years and years. I mean, literally. Like I'm not even being dramatic when you're doing a, a new musical, especially absolutely. That's years of your life, years of your life getting paid very little to do workshops and things, all for the hopeful eventual goal of Broadway. And you get to your opening night. Oh, my God. Like, it's crushing. It is like, you know, and that's the thing that we kept talking about in our theater is like, you know, we're obviously heartbroken that we're not getting to do our show eight times a week. But imagining being in that position of like when everything is finally coming together and you're just ready to celebrate your show and put on your beautiful dress and like you get like one day to kind of pat yourself on the back and like be really stoked before you're like oh yeah, this is really hard and I'm back to being an Olympic athlete. And like to not be given that day is just like, it It breaks my heart to yeah. think of all the actors that like were at that moment and now are sort of on this hiatus. And But I'm very optimistic that we will get to see all of these shows. Oh yeah, I think I think that they'll come back. I just feel, I feel heartbroken for these actors. Like you said, some of them making their debuts and they were like yeah. literally, literally they woke up that morning not realizing that they wouldn't make their debuts that night. It's crushing. Yeah. It's cr like being in tech right now and then putting that on. I mean, it's just like, and also knowing like this is the right thing to do. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's the craziest thing is you're like, oh, yeah, this has to happen. Like, oh, you yeah. can't even be mad. I mean, you can be mad about it and like 100% like toss your toys around the room. I would. But it's like oh yeah, this has to happen. This yeah. is just like, it's it's like this great humbling experience of like, oh, mother nature is is reminding us all who's boss. It's <laughs> kind of how it feels. It's yeah. like this is a great equalizer, you know? Well, for, for me, it's been kind of a, a reality check too in terms of my own mental health and, and giving myself a moment to check in and see what's really important. So I'm... Yeah. You know, I'm I'm coming back and I'm focusing on myself and I'm focusing. I'm here with my family, obviously here stuck in the yeah. house, and with schools being closed, I have two small kids, so like they're home with me, and that's I'll put, we in, love. I'll put in air quotes. That? Fun, fun. Uh, you might hear them try to bang down the door here soon. I don't know. Um, 
I was talking to my cousin who has a two-year-old Una and she's so cute. Um, and she was Marco Poloing me and she was just like, how many more times can I listen to Frozen? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like when Frozen stops, crying begins. So it's like, what's, it's a toss up. So I wonder, is that your, similar to your experience right now? Well, Disney very intelligently released Frozen 2 early on Disney+. Plus. So, I heard. So this that, is key. Yeah, that came out. So we've been watching that. But um, I've been very, very lucky. There was a very, there's a good friends of ours who are one block over who have two kids the same age as my kids and we're alternating days to homeschool them. Huge. So, so it's like every couple, every couple days I have normal work days without the kids. And it's like, that's my time to focus and buckle down and really do this. And, and it's, I mean, just not being able to go out and feeling unsafe walking down the street is yeah. is a new reality. Like yeah, I really there's do. no from it. I go into the bodega on the corner to get a sandwich and like five people come in, five people, not even like the 10 that you're not supposed to be around. And I'm like, right. am I going to get it from them? Am I going to get it from him? Or am I going to get it from her? Like, wh- what is this? And it's it's really like, I got to really, you know, go home and focus on myself. Yeah, uh, and I, I do think there's something too about knowing that symptoms don't even show up in certain people that is like deeply unsettling. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like, Oh, well now I have it. And there you go. It's like, d- do I have it? And did I like, am I secretly carrying this virus? And so it's like really the only thing you can do, which feels so counterintuitive, especially for people who are so used to leading such um, public lives and mm-hmm. like involved lives that like the only thing and the best thing you can do is stay home. It feels so helpless even though it's actively the greatest thing you can do it's just so counterintuitive right right well considering that this is a podcast about theater i want to take it back to theater (laughs) for for this is not a coronavirus podcast Uh, no although there's plenty of those out there now Uh, well it's funny like during the show the week or so before we started i was obsessed with coronavirus like anyone in my show will tell you i was walking down the halls of the theater and i was like we're not making it to the end of the week I'm telling you, look at the numbers in Italy. And everyone was like, you're out of your fucking mind. Broadway's not shutting down. Like, relax. And I was like, get your groceries. You know, prepare. Just know that we're probably not finishing this week. And X-Men, I was like sputtering facts out left and right. And everyone was like, shut up, Catherine. You're psycho. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like the town crier in our theater for like 10 full days. That goes, right. that, that goes I to the, the, the back, but I was right. <laughs> that's the low, that's the low expectations kicking in there. You're like, I, we're yeah. not going to, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it to the end of the week. I was just like, I kept just saying, I was like, look at the numbers in Italy. Look at Italy. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So let me, let me take it to, to you a little bit and tell me about yep. where you, where you grew up. I grew up on uh, 71st between Broadway and Columbus. Oh, so in, I so Manhattan. In, in Manhattan. A Manhattan baby, but I moved to LA when I was 11. So I'm very much like my entire life has been equally split between both New York City and Los Angeles. So do you consider yourself more of a West Coast person or an East Coast person? Like there's there are distinct I'm, personalities. I'm a weird mix. And I've noticed this because it depends who you ask. Some people are like, you're so California. And I'm like, literally, no. Um, I consider my I think I'm more of a New Yorker like in, in my sort of energy, um, and also in my knowledge, extensive knowledge, I should say of, um, where to get the best bagels. Um, what, you know, like 
the uh, the sort of street smart aspect. Like there's certain there, the pace in which I walk down a street. These are things L.A. natives they can't keep up with. Oh yeah, yeah. The walking, about, like you look in my vitamin supplement, like you know, collection, and it's quite L.A. <laughs> I, I have mushrooms in my coffee, you know. Like, <laughs> So I do think that like stereotypically I do I do check off boxes in both um both columns but um I think I I think I'm 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 far more of a, a New Yorker and also I've chosen to spend my adult life in New York and I do think that's sort of it's it, it always calls me back home. Well you so. you and your 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 brother your brother James is now a director and the yes. two of you sort of grew up with with both of your parents Peter Gallagher and Paula Harwood uh in in the theater and the TV film world like the two of you grew yeah. up not in the limelight yourselves but you were around this and was was that Very. a was that a conscious choice from your parents to kind of keep you out of the camera cuz there's a lot of celebrity parents 100%. that like to do that yeah Yeah they were like you know I they, they, my dad's like, has said this a million times over, you only have one chance to be a kid. And so they were very, very adamant that while I was a kid, I was a kid and I wasn't working. And I, however, had a very different idea. I was like, listen, I was reading backstage.com and which is something I would do when I was like 12. I was looking at auditions. I was wanting, you know, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be making music already. I wanted to be in the studio. I wanted to be do, doing movies. I was so driven since I was a little kid, but my parents were like, absolutely not. Um, and then there was sort of one day that I found this Camp Rock audition um, <laughs> online, and it was like, Mitchie, 16, singer-songwriter. I was 12, and I was like, guys, mom, dad, it's me. This is my role. I got to go in, please. And they were like, No. And I got so mad. <laughs> I got so mad. And I went into my room and I, I picked up my guitar and I wrote this song called I'm Okay, um, which was basically like convincing my dad to let me audition, which he did. Um, and Disney was not like as sure as I was that it was me. I did get a call back, to be fair. I got, got a call back. Do you remember who got the role? Um, Demi Lovato. <laughs> <laughs> it was Demi Lovato's breakout role. Uh, so it's cool. It's cool. Um, no hard feelings. Not, no hard feelings. I don't feel like I missed the role of a lifetime, but I will say I do feel like I, I did almost, a, but different paths, different, different yes. strokes, different books. Um, and so, so yeah, so they were very clear, but at the same time, they were very um, inclusive and sort of, the way in which we were in the, in the opportunities we were around. Like they always wanted us to meet incredible artists, you know, and to see like my dad, I went to set with my dad a million times. So the sort of nuts and bolts of it, like the actual sets and the actual um, work of it, I felt very involved in and very included in. But when it came down to sort of the, like going to events or things, they were not, there was no sort of push to get us there in the, in any sort of, capacity except for like the fun kid premieres because that like harry potter was always one that i would beg to go to because they had great candy <laughs> well you the so, little thing. <laughs> so yeah the, the you and your brother um it's interesting because you went the two of you kind of split 
the same side, uh, different sides of the same coin. So like he's behind yeah. the scenes and creating and you're, you're creating, but you're like being a singer, songwriter, you're on stage yeah. and in front of the camera and, and, and in the spotlight and whatnot. It, what was it about the, the, the music or being on stage that spoke to you more than I guess the behind the scenes aspect? I would say that I just, um, wouldn't shut up. Like I, I was just like, it wasn't, <laughs> It didn't occur to me to not be on stage. Like I would be putting on shows in my apartment building lobby for anyone or nobody. Didn't matter. But the show must go on. That's been my mentality since I was a little kid. Um, And so I think for me, it was kind of everything for me was a performance when I was a little kid. You know what I mean? Like I remember (laughs) so embarrassing, but like you know, in quarantine, all bets are off, you know, let's get honest. <laughs> I would put on shows, brushing my teeth, teaching my viewers how to brush their teeth. I'd be like, now, first up on today's show, um, you put the, you wet the toothbrush and then you put the toothpaste and I'll like do these full shows every night before I went to bed. By yourself? This for weeks. Yes, by myself. There was no audience. And this was, this was, was just, when you were five or like last week? Both. I mean, it's been consistent. <laughs> No, literally when I, yeah, I would say I was like probably five or six and I would look in the bathroom mirror and I would like, I mean, this was vlogging pre-vlogging. I was, you know, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't really get into the vlog game because I've been practicing for so long. Well, but. there are there. Yeah, there's whole opportunities. You could do like, like toothbrush cam. So you just, you just like at, at seven, eight PM every night, I'm going to go brush my teeth, kids. And you come in and we'll sing a song together and we'll wash our hands for 20 seconds. It's the, it's the Corona Literally. toothbrush. Camp. Yeah. Andy, I've been preparing for quarantine my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then, yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned like your parents, I, I kind of assumed that your parents had kind of kept you to be being a kid and doing kid things, yeah. which I think is is incredibly admirable because like looking up credits and and past career history, like it all just sort of started 2011 as your first TV film credit. And then like 2014, 2015, it just like you just shot out of the gate and then <laughs> putting out song after song after, you know, two Broadway shows and and like blowing up on on Netflix and just everything's <laughs> just happening now. So was, it's so sweet hearing you say that because my perspective of my career is like, God, you've done nothing, Gallagher, <laughs> like work harder. <laughs> so it's really and I do think I find that so true with so many of my actor friends is we're all like, I've done nothing and I, I need to do more and I, I need to focus and I need to work harder and I need to do all these things. And then you like kind of take back like take a step back and look at what you've done. You're always, it's always like kind of like, Oh yeah, I've done something. You've done, you know, you've done some, I mean, you look at the social media numbers. I mean, social media in it, in and of itself is its own game that, that I don't think I will ever understand. I mean, I, on the surface, on the surface I do, people want to, to present their best selves. They want people to like them. They want to be validated. So like presenting and being on social media, I get that. And, I guess as a, as someone who follows other people, obviously I have followers or I I follow other people that I like to know what they're doing. And it's, it's weird because when people complain, it's, it's, it's hard for me to describe. And I'm, I know I'm stumbling over my words here, but on one hand, I'm like, I know it's 
relatively not real because you, most people only present their positive sides and the good aspects and th- yeah. fun things that happen. And then when they when a lot of people present something bad, I will. I, it, I guess maybe it's a little hypocritical of me to say this, but I'm like, oh man, I don't want to see that bad crap. Like they're just they just want pity, they just want attention, they just want help. Yeah. And I don't, and I feel bad about kind of both sides of it. Social media is such an interesting thing because when I sort of like, when I look back at the most difficult times in my life and I, I find this very, I've been kind of sort of curious about this. It's like, what was I posting? Like retrospectively, what was I presenting in these times of my life that were brutal? Where like my reality was crying on my bed for seven hours. What did I post that day? You know, Mm -hmm. I post a selfie with, you know, puffy eyes. That's for damn sure. Right. I posted a professional photo shoot, you know, like, and, and then I think, okay, well, what, what am I posting when I'm genuinely happy? Nothing. Right. Like, (laughs) you know, maybe a picture of my dog. (laughs) You know what? Oh, oh, you know what it is though? And it just occurred to me as you said this, that yeah, you're, when you're bad, you're posting positive things because you like li- chemically, and I've said this before on the podcast, yep. and that that chemically getting likes, getting follows, getting all that, it's it's releasing serotonin in our brain. So we yeah. are chemically falling in love with our digital devices. Yep. And when you are happy, you don't need that. You're in the moment. You're experiencing it. So it doesn't occur to you to go to that drug more or less to yeah. to get to get that validation. It's true. Therapy with Catherine and Alan. Listen, <laughs> like here all month, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, at least. Truly. But yeah, social media is something that I feel like I don't, I like, I don't think I do it. Um, I, I have friends that do it quite well. Like, like my friend, Alexa Losi, she's an incredible, she, she's a vlogger. She's brilliant. She's like one of the smartest people I know and everything that she does on social media. I'm always like, Oh, that's how you do it. Like you're right. And I'll never do it that way. Cause I'm like, don't, I don't have that brain power, but she does it so, so brilliantly and so beautifully and so intelligently. And then I think to what I'm doing and I'm like, well, as long as I'm posting something that feels honest in the moment, like that's not, um, presenting a, a view I don't agree with or whatever, or like, you know, just feels silly and somewhat unfiltered, then I think I'm okay with it. But every time I feel like I've ever tried to, um, curate an experience or, or it's like, you know, curate, um, like I downloaded that app that made, it makes Instagram stories all like fun, like with borders. And I was just like, yo, this is too much work. Fuck that. I don't know how to do it. I'm just like, you know, what do they call it? Shit posting? Yeah. Isn't yeah. that what they say? Yeah. That's like my whole feed. So I don't know how to do it, but that's what I do. <laughs> well, and everybody's got like, that's your personality and it, you know, it works. Yeah. I, it's, it's, uh, what did you say a second ago? You said something that you're like, you want to, you want it to be unfiltered. Is that yeah? like, is that you, you just, you just have, do you have to be like honest and have the social yeah. verbal diarrhea to make her, to, to feel good at the end of the day? I am, I am the worst liar you've ever met. Like I, I can't do it. If I, I, I can't even like pretend to be good at it. I, um, I definitely think that I, I'm, I've found when I was younger, I was like 
tried on 8 million different personalities, 8 million different ways of dressing, 8 million different haircuts and all of the, and it was exhausting. It was so deeply exhausting to try and be other people and to fit into certain trends and to do all these different things that I think now I'm at this place in my life where I'm like, the easiest route is, is the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of been for my whole career. You know, I was like a hundred percent only really immediately at least interested in being a singer songwriter when I was, you know, 17. I mean, all the time, all the way from when I was like a kid to, you know, 18, 19 up until spring awakening happened. I was in sessions as a songwriter. I was writing for other artists. I was like, all, you know, gigging all the time. And, um, and then spring awakening kind of like came along. I mean, literally like fell into my lap almost and changed the course of everything. Mm -hmm. And I, that was such a big lesson for me. And my, the rest of my life has kind of followed suit where I've like had a very specific plan of how I was very certain that things were going to work out. And then the world said, no, you're going to do this. And then I was like, ah, I didn't even know how much I wanted that. And then it, you know, Spring Awakening changed my whole life. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be acting. I wouldn't be in Jagged Little Pill. I wouldn't be doing any of this stuff. And so I do feel like, for me, the path of least resistance, which in terms of social media, in terms of my personality, is just like trying to, to speak from a level of sort of authenticity to my experiences and not really much beyond that, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Like not not speaking from books I haven't read, not speaking from um, stories I haven't lived and, and just kind of that has worked so far for my career, for my life, for my, you know, the, the version of myself I put on the Internet, which, of course, all of us are putting versions of ourselves. And that doesn't mean that, like, when I'm crying, I'm live streaming it and right. talking about, you know, my breakups. <laughs> but that's what songwriting's for, you know. Right. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's. Yeah, I find it interesting um, that there's that you still sound like you're putting filtered content out there in an unfiltered way to feel authentic, if that makes sense. And, 100%. Yeah, and and the the need to ex I mean, it's it's sort of like it's art. It's expressing. It's another way for people to express themselves. And like there was you know researching for this podcast, you know, I just put your name in into Google, right? And then like a bunch of things come up, and there's like. Um, the 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 photo shoot you did recently with, where it's like Catherine Gallagher goes topless for blah 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 and then you posted yeah. on on Instagram the shoot you did with your friend where it was like you're in lingerie and you're it's all to, all about like body positivity and just being authentically yourself without I guess crossing a line if that yeah. if that makes sense well I do think it's very important for people to you know, for me, it's like, I find it very important to sort of keep my relationships um, private, mm -hmm. sort of, and, and my sort of like, I, I don't, um, there's parts of myself that I do keep for myself, because I think that that helps maintain a level of sanity. Um, but when it comes to speaking about my experiences, um, you know, like when I, when I came, when I wrote that essay for Cosmo from that Tyler Shields photo shoot, that was sort of the first time I'd ever spoken about any of that stuff. But I was like, oh, well, if I speak honestly about this experience, like I know it's something that I needed to hear when I was 14. Mm -hmm. So when I was thinking about writing all of that, it was like, well, would this experience help someone that's going through this? 
if the answer is yes, then like I, I feel okay being honest about that. And also, you know, that in that writing that essay, it was something that I was looking at retroactively. So I was speaking, you know, to my experience with sort of my body from a point of, um, sort of reflection, which I think was helpful, um, in writing it because it didn't feel like, um, you know, I'm a very sort of emotionally impulsive person. And, (laughs) and when I'm speaking with my best friends and I'm explaining a situation, I'm going to have one point of view that in a year I might have learned an entirely new lesson from it. That's far more valuable. Um, and so I try and be very careful about not speaking irrationally, um, in the heat of the moment on the internet and in a way that in a year I might think like, Oh, (laughs) I don't know if I needed to do that. Um, and also I feel very lucky because that's what I do in songwriting. You know, in those moments that I'm feeling deeply like I need to express something specific and personal, that's when I pick up my guitar. And then I will write that specific personal song and then I'll put that on the internet. Because it's music. <laughs> <laughs> and people people are much more forgiving of songs than they are tweets and exactly. Instagram posts. Yeah. It's just it's a little more a little a little poetry goes a long way. Absolutely. <laughs> Spring Awakening, you said it kind of fell into your lap. What was the story there? Well, um actually Ben, who was just here, called me one day, and this was like twenty fourteen, I believe. He called me and I was like, hey, my friend Michael is doing this like tiny production of Spring Awakening in L.A. And uh, I played him your voice and he loves it. Anyway, he's going to call you. And I was like, "Okay." And then this guy, Michael, some guy, you know, (laughs) some guy, Michael um, and some guy, Ben, um, he called me and Michael and I is, of course, Michael Arden, Mm -hmm. two time Tony nominee, love of my life, angel, human. Um, We got coffee and. And then about a year and a half later, we were on Broadway. <laughs> it was kind of like, I mean, of course, we did it in L.A. twice. We did it at the Wallace. And um, there's a lot of de- development there. But I'll never forget. It was actually really funny. Um, when we first met, he was interested in me playing Ilsa, which mm-hmm. is my dream role. Like 100% something I've always wanted to do. I was so thrilled. I thought I, it was in the bag. I was like, he was like, yeah, you'd be a perfect Elsa. Like, da, da, da. And I was like, ah, dreams. Um, and then he was like, keep this, keep the summer free. These are the dates, et cetera, et cetera. All this stuff. It was all sort of lining up. And then I didn't really hear from him for a while. And I was like, okay, like, that's weird. So I, I like sent him a text to check in. He was like, oh, you're going to be getting an email from casting this week. And I was like, oh, great. Perfect. I didn't hear anything. Week later, I saw like an open casting call on the internet, and I was like, "Well, you could have like told me." (laughs) I was like, "I "I feel so sad about this." So I just like kind of got a sour taste in my mouth and was like all huffy. And um, then my best friend and I one night were this is in LA, and we were uh, really craving ice cream. And so we were like, you know what? We've never been to the gelato place down the street. And we took her 70-pound pit bull um, named Rocky, the love of my life. And we walked down the street. And I'm wearing um, a hot pink Soul Cycle sweatshirt and uh, Juicy Couture pants, um, 
some socks and Ugg slippers. Basically, I look amazing. Um, <laughs> and and um, we're walking down the street and we go inside and she has to wait outside with um, the dog. So I go in to get the ice cream and I'm like hood up. Like I'm pretty tired. I'm a little out of it. And uh, I don't and, and I, I'm standing in line and I hear someone say, oh, Catherine. And I was like, it's in your head, Gallagher. Relax. And um, I, I, it keeps getting louder. And I was like, you know, that's real. And I turn around and I see Michael Arden sitting there. And I was like, oh, no, I don't do well with these situations. So I go up to him and I was like, oh, my God. Hi. Hey, how are you? It is so good to see you. It's amazing to see you right here, right now at this gelato place. Um, I love <laughs> You what are, flavor did you get? You are a horrible liar. <laughs> terrible. Terrible. I was like, what flavor did you get? I always get coffee here, but um, looks like you got Rocky Road. Rocky Road is so good. I actually, I'm, I'm more of a coffee person, but it's late at night, so I feel like I probably shouldn't even have the coffee portion of it. Anyway, I got to go because, like, my roommate's on there with the dog, and, like, I should get in line. And anyway, I'll just get the ice cream. It was so good to see you. It was so good to see you all. So I'll see you later. And I just, like, run away. <laughs> it was, like, manic. And so... I get all the ice creams. I go outside. And my, and my roommate at the time, Sosie Bacon, an incredible actor, beautiful, love. And so she looks at this ice cream that I got her and she goes, you got my lemon and vanilla in the same cup? And I was like, <laughs> yes. But you're not listening, Sosie. Like that director of that that production, he's inside. And and, he, and, he, and, I, and I don't know what to do because he never called. And then I'm just, and I can't believe he never wrote me. And I was just like freaking out. She goes, I have to go get another cup. And I was like, I'm like going through something right now. And you're just talking to my phone. I'm outside with the dog now. And all of a sudden she starts talking to Michael. And it turns out that they had done an episode um, of The Closer together. And so she brings him outside. And then the four of us, him and our soon-to-be associate director, and we're all just talking and eventually goes, so, um, I well, first, I said I was big and I was like, so how's your production of Spring Awakening going? And he was like, um, it's going well. Why didn't you come in for your audition? And what? I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Um, and apparently like an e email had gotten lost and I went in two days later and then he was like, Hey, you're not right for Ilsa. Um, but you'll see why later. Um, and I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. He was like, but I hope you can still come see the show. And I was like, sure and then I go into the studio I make an album I'm like living my best life I'm working on music and I think that's my sort of game plan I go to Nashville like I'm having a great time and it's my last day in the studio and Michael calls me and he's like hey we just had someone drop out um you play guitar right I know it's a smaller role but would you be interested in playing the voice of Marta um I need someone rehearsal starts tomorrow and I was like yeah well, really, at first I was like, I don't know. I'm really focusing on music. I have these tours lined up I might be doing and whatever. And I go inside and with my producer, we watch the Tony performance from the original Broadway cast. And I was like, this is my favorite fucking show. Like, who am I kidding? Yes, I will do this. And that was such a benefit for me because I ended up becoming a better guitarist, learning, writing new guitar parts with Duncan Cheek on Broadway. Right, right. And becoming dance captain, which taught me a whole new slew of skills and, and learning how to sort of run a rehearsal was huge. And, and so it ended up being like the greatest gift of all time to have this role where I was like really becoming a, a skilled guitarist and really learning so much more that I wouldn't have ever done if I had just 
gotten the role that I thought I wanted. So a huge lesson all around and you never know what the fuck is going to happen. <laughs> that is, that's so cool. Yeah. Everybody's stories are so unique and that, that's a really good one. And so that, <laughs> that, that but you are a really bad liar. Good actor, bad Terrible liar. liar. <laughs> Terrible liar. So then it, when it, when it closes, you go back to singing, songwriting, and then it, like it's a couple of years between that and, and now oh. Jagged Little Pill. Oh, so, I had a full-on year and a half of not one callback. Not, not one. Yeah, it was so fun. Um, yeah, could not get a job to save my life. I was like, I had reps now. We closed the show on Broadway. I was like, my first audition in LA, I went to a producer session. I was like, I'm hot shit. Like, I'm going to have a TV show in no time. <laughs> that was not the case. <laughs> what followed Closing Spring Awakening was truly about a year and a half of dyeing my hair hot pink on and off. Um, a lot of mine are heartbreaks, dating the wrong people, falling in love with people who only had no interest in me, um, which was also my career uh, relationship at that point. It mm. had no interest in me. I was like, please. Um, I was writing a lot of songs. I had a lot of sessions. It was just kind of like no man's land for about a year and a half, um, doing odd gigs here and there. Uh, and then... What happened was I finally sort of started to get a good pace. And I had met these producers in L.A. that I was just absolutely obsessed with. I set aside a couple of months in the the fall of 2017 to begin working on music with them. And I, I was like so ready to only do that. Right before I left for Los Angeles, my reps called me and they were like, hey, we have this um, new show that we want you to go in for uh it's on lifetime but it's greg berlanti and and sarah gamble and um the script is great just read the pilot and your appointments on like friday or whatever and i was like all right whatever and i was so disenchanted by acting i was like fuck this no, i'm never gonna get it why do i even care like this is all so lame and um and it was funny because that week i i went on a date the night before and i was like well it ended badly and I was just like, oh, I hate everything and I'm just ready to leave and I have this stupid audition in the morning and I'm just going to go home. Hadn't read the script, hadn't done anything and I wake up in a terrible mood and I finally was like, I guess I should read this script that I have my audition <laughs> for three hours. Like I was in such a bratty mood and um, I read the script and I was like, oh no, I love it and now I'm underprepared and I'm obsessed with it and it's a character I think I could really get. So, I then just like really hunkered down <laughs> and did a lot of work, a lot of crammed work. I learned my lines um, and I sort of like made this internal deal with myself that I don't recommend, but where I was like, well, if I can't get this role that, and it was this monologue at the time that was um, all about body pos positivity. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I've said these words. I wrote an essay that's essentially this. Like it's gotta be, if I don't get this, I should stop trying was essentially the deal I made with myself. Again, an ill-informed Ill um, theory, but not no. And I go in for this audition, and I thought it went really well. I called my dad, and I was like, I kind of think I might have booked that. And he was like, well, you never know. And anyway, you did your best, so congratulations. Now, you know, pack up. And I leave town, like, the next day. And I went on a, a little trip with my mom, and it was really beautiful. And we land from the trip back in L.A., and I had like 35 missed calls and emails and texts. And it was all my reps. And they were like, hey, turn around. You have your table read for the first episode of You on Tuesday. Wow. And so that kept me in New York for two weeks later when they were like, actually, 
not even two weeks, like one week later, they were like, hey, it's a general ensemble call, but we know you're obsessed with this Alanis Morissette musical. Um, they say that there's parts in the ensemble that could pop out. We never know how true that is. But anyway, we wanted to present it to you if, if you want to go in for it. And I was like, 100% Alanis Morissette, duh, no question. I don't care what I'm doing and I'll mop the floor. So <laughs> I was like, duh. And then so I went in for a general ensemble call for Jagged Little Pill. And they called me back for Bella, which at the time was an ensemble role. Um, and and then I, I was filming you and I booked Jagged Little Pill. And the producers of you were incredibly wonderful and lovely and wrote me out of two episodes so that I could participate in the Jagged Lab. And, um, and that, yeah. Wow. And life has been those two shows has been my whole life pretty much since, since that day wow so. that oh my goodness so uh, the, the bella bella has is such a pivotal part of the final story now <laughs> yes how did how did that evolution i mean we'll get into bella and the whole and all of that in a bit but like I, how, how did that evolution come and what i mean did you bring that or was that like oh she's so talented we got to give her more let's figure out what to do or was it just kind of natural in a, what kind of evolution happened well i who knows i guess um i think what really happened was when we brought the show to boston um well the two things happened one the world changed when we were doing the lab um in so i guess november of 2017 me too began mm, yeah while we were in the room so all of the sudden the world was ready to hear bella's story as well so I think that, you know, uh, the, the global awareness of the Me Too movement um, of sexual assault was, was just climbing and climbing and climbing as we were building this story. Um, it, it became clear that people were really ready for it. And then I think when we brought the show to Boston, um, in which I was still in the ensemble. So quite literally, every time I wasn't on stage as Bella, I was changing my clothes, putting on a cap, and like dancing. And it was like the most manic role because it was literally like I would finish my song Predator, run off stage, change my clothes, and then like headbang in the back of You Ought to Know. Well, meanwhile, like my eyes are still puffy from crying. It was like so (laughs) insane. I was like, and I remember thinking after, I was like, I hope this changes because I don't think I can do this for a year. It was so difficult that like emotional roller coaster, but very fortunately it did. Um, and so what happened while we were in Boston was a lot of survivors started reaching out to me and started telling me how much it meant to them to see their story told on stage. And I began, you know, telling our, our creatives, I was like, guys, this is really moving. Like, I, I just want you to know how much response I'm getting. And, and I think, you know, we should all be like, I was just kind of saying like, we should be really proud of ourselves. Like this is show is really doing a good thing for the world. And I think everybody was really surprised. I don't, I, I don't think everyone kind of expected my role to get that response because it, at that point really was a, a very, very sort of, it took a backseat to the rest of the issues in the show. Yeah. And, um, but with the world growing and with, and with the surprise of how people were responding to it. And um, I think everyone was like, well, and also noticing like, you know, we, one of the things we all really cared about was making sure that we gave Bella, we made Bella more than just a survivor, that we made her a full person with a full backstory and a full experience and that people saw her before she's raped so that 
you know, we got to um, see how that experience changed her. It was a real combination of things uh, and, and also questions of like, well, what would happen if this happened? And, you know, I mean, my favorite scene with me and Elizabeth in the kitchen, that didn't exist in Cambridge. That didn't exist until the lab we did after Cambridge before Broadway. And, and the moment that scene was written, we were all kind of like, oh my gosh, duh. How is it like, we love this moment. How was this never here? And so I think it was just, you know, we have a creative team of such titans that they just figured it out because they're brilliant. Yeah. The, <laughs> the show itself is, I mean, for those who haven't seen it, go see it when, when Broadway starts up again, but it's a show that wraps mental illness, white privilege and sexual assault, like all into one amazing package set to the soundtrack of the nineties album from Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill and the arrangements, it's all rearranged. The arrangements are so good. I listen to the cast recording all the time, (laughs) but the, the show, gosh, like when, when you first read the script. I, well, my question was like, what was your first impressions of the script? But it sounds like from your story, you didn't even care because it was Alanis Morissette music. I did not give one fuck. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry. Alanis Morissette is doing a musical. I am involved. I mean, there's an email that I sent to my parents in 2013 when it was first announced on billboard.com, just like copy and pasted the link. And I sent it to my parents and I was like, I need to do this. So this was a job I had been chasing for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess as a female, a female songwriter, you know, like her and, and Ani DeFranco and of that ilk, right? Like they're my idols. Yeah. 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 Ani, I think she's episode 11 on this podcast. I interviewed her about a, about a year ago. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. 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 Oh my God. I have to listen to it. Yeah. She's, she's oh. wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Um, oh. But, so much. <laughs> yeah, she was wonderful. But, but when you guys started rehearsal for JLP, yeah. director Diana, Diane Paulus. Um, oh, love of my life. You got every, she gave everybody like a, a an assignment of sorts, right? Oh, yes, she did. What, did, what oh, was that? She absolutely did. She basically like you do these character presentations and they're the hardest thing in the world. I've never been more nervous in my life than I was doing this for everybody. Um, You basically, I don't remember all the specifics now, but everyone in the ensemble had to create a character, which is like, I feel like I lucked out of that because I would not have thrived. Um, And create a character, it has to involve music, a dance move. It's like all these like very specific guidelines and like you have to mention certain things like where you're, what living at home with your character is like and like all of these different, um, these different sort of like goalposts sort of making sure that you're, the character you're bringing to the show is a deeply developed human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, yeah, that was when we were doing the lab. Or maybe it was Cambridge. Maybe it was right before Cambridge. But it was just like, oh my gosh, brilliant. Diane is, has one of the greatest minds of all time. I'm just... Well, weren't, weren't all so. the assignments... I mean, I, I, when I was talking to Elizabeth Stanley, I think she was mentioning that everybody had to like research a topic, like whether it was sexual oh, assault or too. mental health. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so both things. Um, <laughs> she, also, she also did the character presentations. Um, but yeah, that was that was pre-Broadway, and we all did. We picked a topic that the show addresses, and we did we presented about it. We talked about sort of what um, we had learned, and I, of course, you know, learned more about sexual assault and about um, sort of the things Bella deals with. I know Elizabeth 
definitely dove in more on addiction. And, um, and it was just a way that we could all make sure that we were all very, very well educated on the topics of our show and making sure that we could speak from a speak and perform from a place of truth and reality. Yeah. The, um, you always want to come from authenticity, but these are things that you don't want necessarily people to have authentic experiences with. Exactly. And it's interesting too, because, you know, you, you want to come at it authentically and you still have to have a level of separation between the performance and your life. Mm-hmm. That's been, it's, it's actually funny. I don't even know if I should be admitting that, but it's okay. Um, quarantine, you know, makes people on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was FaceTiming with my mom the other day and she was like, Catherine, you just feel so much lighter. Like you seem so happy. <laughs> I was like, and it's not that during the show I'm, I'm unhappy, but it is like, there is a level of mental, um, sort of, uh, like I'm, the image I have in my head and I don't know how to describe this is like padding on the walls sort of for your life. Like if your entire life is, a, is contained in a room when you're doing a role that's like Bella, that sort of involves very going to very, very dark places in, in your mind and in your experiences, it's sort of like my entire life has padding on the walls right now because I have to make sure that the opportunities for, um, a heartache or pain are, are cut down to the absolute minimum because going to tell that story every night takes a toll. Mm-hmm. It's like a sincere, um, it just requires a level of sort of caution in the rest of my life that I, I was not used to. And I sort of knew that that might be the situation at hand, but I don't think I, I understood quite how it would, um, sort of dictate the rest of my life in the way it has. And then also the flip side of that being, you know, then when I hear stories of survivors and hearing how the show's impacting people, it's also given me more joy than I ever really thought I would experience from a, from a far deeper place. So it's like this, this just entirely new way of life that I've, I've learned to live. And now in the past week where I, as the longest I've been away from the show in, in seven months, I've kind of been like, Oh, it's weird. Not, going dark and twisty every night. Like I haven't thought about, I I haven't thought about scary things in, in a minute. And there's a global pandemic happening. Like it's, it's just been a very, very strange existence stepping away from it. Um, just even for a week. And that being said, I cannot fucking wait to get back to the theater. I'm yeah. like, I want to do it now. <laughs> well, it's, I got my break. It's, it's like, it, it's such a means of expression. And, and, what I was gonna what I guess what I was gonna suggest was that it maybe it's like you don't you know you're hot until you've been cold you don't know you're in until you've been out it's it's a matter of perspective right so by going so deep and dark eight times a week it allows you to appreciate all of the better times and I think people just call that being mindful right like yeah it's that just makes sense. it's just <laughs> it's just improved mental health right and I think that's why a lot of like role playing therapy really really helps people because they can go to these places and experience that and then come back out and, and realize the perspective they've got of where they are. It's really true. It's interesting. It's like, I I never thought, um, 
that doing this role would be such a huge catharsis in so many ways, but it is true. It's like, you know, there's so many moments in the show where I try and separate my own personal life and things that I've gone through, but it's somewhat impossible at a certain level, you know, like your brain tells you what it wants you to think Mm -hmm. regardless (laughs) of, of your, of your, um, you know, direction sometimes, but it's been really fascinating to see how cathartic and, um, intense it's sort of been in just sort of processing my own life and my own experiences. And, and it's been, it's just been a wild ride and, and so unpredictable. What, what was it like working with, with Claire Warden on this one? Oh, huge. Yeah. She, yeah. So Claire, when she came in, um, she's of course our intimacy coach. Mm -hmm. She was, um, so she took such care in the way that, um, well, first she brought us all sort of separately into a room and one by one and talked to us about our experiences and, you know, um, what we were comfortable with, what we weren't comfortable with. If there were no touch areas, if there were triggers, if there were all these different things, um, just so she could know as much about us personally going into it. And then when we choreographed Predator, everything down to like the beat in which he puts his hands on my thighs because my eyes are closed that's choreographed. Hmm. So my body is not going into a sense of panic. So I know at this moment, I'm going to feel, you know, Logan, who's an incredible person and an incredible scene partner in this moment. Um, I know that I'm going to feel his hands on my thighs and that's going to prepare my body. And so working with, and we tap in and tap out sort of at the beginning and end of every show. And so that prepares me and my body to know what's happening is expected and it, my body doesn't sort of go into shock and into panic when I'm when my eyes are closed on the ground. Um, so it's been really huge in making that um, sort of a sustainable scene because I, I don't really know how we could have done it any other way. Um, and the other big thing that she taught me was how our body does, regardless of all of these precautions, it does trap trauma. And so the biggest thing we can do is like to shake it out, to dance it out. So she's like every night after the show, literally like shut the door, play your favorite song and jump around and just like shake out that trauma. Cause that's like, I mean, you see animals do it. They shake when they're scared and that's mm-hmm. like releasing tension. And so it was, it's been really, really helpful to me to have these sort of, um, you know, tools to, to work through it because it is, um, and my cast is amazing and, and sort of they, they sort of check in with me often because, you know, they know um, sort of both personally where I'm coming from with everything and and quite, you know, and, and just in the show that it's sort of a, um, an intense thing to do so often. And so, you know, everyone is, is always really kind about checking in with me and, and how I'm doing sort of mentally and making sure that I'm, I'm okay, which I always think is just so I'm always like kind of blown away by my company's like kindness and care and, and, um, attention in that way. Um, but Claire is really given extraordinary tools and making it feel, um, so routine and so sort of, um, I don't know if clinical is the right word, but contained, I think is maybe correct. Deliberate. Yeah. It's like, this is, this is the protocol. This is how it goes. And anything beyond that is, you know, that would sort of disrupt the pattern 
doesn't exist. So it's like we're in our routine. Yeah, it's a good way to explain it as as choreography. And I didn't even think about that sort of thing. Because when I was watching the number, like I, I was genuinely surprised at how as actors, how intimate that scene is, because you see, you know, you see simulated sex and you see nudity yeah. on stage every now and then. And, and it's all kind of just like, you can always tell that there's separation, but yeah. in this number, there is nothing. There are hands everywhere. And to mm-hmm. know, to know that it's all choreographed beat by beat somehow yeah. makes me feel better. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It definitely is. You know, I think, um, it's something that our creative team and our producers were so adamant about making sure that we were all very comfortable in what, you know, what we ended up presenting, but also to make sure that what we were presenting was true to, to reality. And we didn't want anything to feel inauthentic and we didn't want anything to feel overly indulgent or there for shock value. Um, so everything we tried to be very, very deliberate and, and, um, approaching from, sort of an intellectual standpoint of like, what do we need to tell the story? Um, nothing more, nothing less kind Mm -hmm. of. Um, and that's sort of where, you know, my trust falls so, so heavily in, in Diane and, and Diablo and Larby and Claire and our entire team, you know, I, I trust them with my life. So I feel, I felt very, very taken care of and all of that. And even still in being taken care of, it's still like, there's definitely days where I'm like, finish the show. And I'm like in my dressing room and I just like cry. And I'm like, okay, right now my body needs to just like finish feeling this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and um, and it's, it's really sweet because in the scene with Elizabeth in the kitchen, that's different every day. Sometimes there's no tears and, you know, a lot of times there's middle tears and then sometimes it's just a waterfall coming out of my eyes. And always on those days, I have cast members coming up to me after the show being like, hey, How's it going? Like, how are you feeling? Are you like, you know, do do you want to go get some dinner? Like, it's like, it's just such a, it's such an incredibly kind and compassionate um, work environment and and company that I just feel really lucky. Yeah. I, I, I can only imagine. I mean, I was, I found an article too, that your castmate Nora Shell, you know, she's very open about her borderline personality disorder and she's been interviewed about that and was going through a manic episode. I think when she either auditioned or during the workshop, I can't remember, but she Mm -hmm. talked to the creative team and was like, they were like, Oh yeah, cool, cool. We're all good. We're all accepting here. And I, I feel like in a show where to be authentic, you have to go to such dark places because of all of the topics that the show covers um you're gonna learn so much about your castmates that in other situations (laughs) you probably would not yeah like deeply personal type of things like in in you know with the statistics on sexual assault and however many women there are in the cast like it's it's a given that some of them have gone through some of this 100 percent. like honestly i had Perhaps, really? I guess. And that was something I told my cast in the lab. I was like, I get this. I've been there. I know this. And it's something that my company was immediately, you know, warm and open and, and not indulgent about. And it's, it's a really fine line. And there's so many other examples. Like, you know, we have someone in our company who's dealt with all of the things in our show. You know, like at least one person has dealt with one part of our show and spoken with great compassion and great honesty about their experience. And I think all of that has enhanced our show to such a, a, a deep place. Oh gosh. Um, that it's, 
yeah, it's been really, it's a really extraordinary group of people. Um, and we're just lucky to have that company. Well, then it totally, it totally makes sense that your body holds the trauma and, and you got off stage. <laughs> and if you're seriously though, if you're reliving yeah. your own trauma and you're, you know, yeah. you're, you're doing that for the benefit of an audience, a paying audience, but of course that's going to bring some it's of a it. Blast. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then now your mom's saying you seem lighter, like being able to work through your own issues <laughs> and let that go and keep it on and maybe even compartmentalize it on stage. Like, no wonder. Yeah. Like that's got to feel so yeah. good. And working with the Joyful Heart Foundation, um, which is, uh, was started by Mariska Hargitay, who is like a big sister to me. And of course has, you know, the sort of a, a very similar experience to mine where her job you know, she is constantly speaking with survivors and people are constantly speaking with her about their experience. And, um, when she came to see the show, I mean, and I've been, I've texted her when I first got the job and I was like, Hey, I'm going to need your help. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to need your help and support and love, which of course she is like, if you've ever met Mariska, she is just like a wellspring of love and joy and, and warmth. And, um, she's the best big sister I could ask for. Um, but she, you know, started the Joyful Heart Foundation, which is an incredible organization that's main priority is to end the rape kit backlog. I don't know if you know anything about that, but there are hundreds of thousands of untested rape kits and, and police reports calling um, women whores and sluts. And, and clearly she wanted it because look what she was wearing and she's a drunk slut. I mean, you literally using this terminology, like I'm not being sort of, Un I'm not here for shock effect here. Unofficial police reports. Yeah, on official police reports, calling women sluts and whores and drunk bitches. It's, I mean, it's it's atrocious. You should watch I Am Evidence. It's the documentary they made, and it will absolutely blow your mind, the justice system and its corruption. I know that's not news to anyone, but it is still shocking. And, um, and so... You know, in working with them and hearing survivor stories and, and all of this, it's, it's allowed me to have a level of... Uh, I guess, unity of, of sort of camaraderie of, um, and, and of uh, an awareness of how crucial it is that we tell these stories now more than ever. And that, um, you know, when you do go through something like this, it's entirely isolating and, and it's filled with shame and what did I do and how did I, I, and I deserve this and this was my fault and what could I have done differently? And, and you're constantly in the shame spiral in your own brain when the truth is, is that it's not your shame to feel. That's something that one of the survivors say in, in I Am Evidence, and I say it all the time. It's like, you're feeling shame that doesn't belong to you. And I think that watching so many survivors be affected by Bella's story and, and in her strength and in her bravery and how that's released so many, so many survivors of their shame and their, you know, dark, twisty spirals, that it's it's just become a huge gift for me to, to get to be on stage every night, um, telling Bella's story and, and standing in her strength that I just feel like I'm borrowing, you know, it's like, this is just an incredible character that was written. And, and I feel very lucky that I get to be the person that brings her to life right now. And, um, and she teaches me more about strength and bravery every day than I could have really ever imagined. Um, I'd learn in my lifetime. Are you it's still, been... you're still discovering more about Bella every show? Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every show it's like, 
you know, you walk off stage and you're like, ah, that was a, that was a new one. <laughs> I didn't know that layer was there, but you know, the, the Bella and Catherine are very, very intertwined and are very, very, um, they inform each other, uh, every day, I would say. All right. Well, I, I absolutely love that. I think that's a great place to wrap this up here. Um, so the three questions I ask everybody to wrap up the episode, the first one is what motivates you? Um, um, fear of failure, fear of, um, boredom and, um, and an inability to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The second, second question is what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Oh my God, relax. You're fine. Um, like I think that young Catherine was, no one's ever been more driven than me at 12 including me at 26. Um, and so I think I would just say like, you're allowed to take a deep breath and sometimes look around yourself and realize you're doing okay and pat yourself on the back and, and just like take a deep breath. And, um, also the skinniest you're ever going to be in your life is going to be when your heart is hurting the most and it's not going to feel good and it's not going to make you happy. So enjoy your life and, and stop worrying about what you're eating and, and, um, what you look like. Beautiful. Okay. And then the final question is if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Spring Awakening. There you go. It's my fave. Not my production to be, I mean, I love my production. It would just be weird to watch myself every day. And plus I'd be in it. So maybe someone else could replace me. I don't know. Maybe the original Broadway cast just because nostalgia. Fair enough. All right. Spring Awakening. Okay, good answer. So we can find you on Instagram at Catherine Gallagher, on Twitter at Catherine G. You're on YouTube and SoundCloud. Just your username is Catherine Gallagher on both Mm -hmm. of those. And you're online on the web at CatherineGallagherMusic.com. Yes? That's the truth. Anywhere else? Uh, Apple Music, Spotify, all the streaming places. And um, and that's it. That's everywhere. Yeah, find you. Okay, you can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Support this podcast at thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can get me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Please leave a rating, leave a review wherever you are listening. And thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And It's can- Jukebox the Ghost? Yeah, you will hear Jukebox. I Jukebox the Ghost. They're my boys. This is the best day of my life. (laughs) Well, thank you, Catherine. This has been so fun. You have been so authentic. I greatly, greatly enjoyed this. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.